Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of J-Cross Presents Sound Sociology. We've been looking at the functions of education and how school serves four different purposes. Selection, political, qualifications and skills, and social control. And we've examined it through more ideas of hidden curriculum and what functionalists might make of it all. The Marxist perspective provides a very different outlook on the purpose of school. And in today's episode, we're going to introduce another key thinker in terms of thinking about those four markers and think, and studies that you can be used in your 12 markers. And that's the work of Bowles and Gintis. Marxists take a critical view of the role of education. They see it as a form of social control that doesn't create a social order, but instead creates a sense of obedience, passive workers who work in a capitalist system which benefits the bourgeoisie. Teaching ruling class values is only there to ensure that the social inequality maintains between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Marxists also argue that the education system is there to reinforce the existing social class structures and struggle in which the working class students are less likely to achieve good grades and fall further behind in education. Bowles and Gintis are two Marxists working in the 1970s who see the role of education as creating and reproducing a workforce with correct characteristics to meet the needs of a capitalist economy. These characteristics include hardworking, disciplined, submissive, obedient, and not willing to question low wages or poor conditions. In a study done in 1976 with 237 New York high school students, their findings were clear. They found that schools reward students who displayed the above characteristics of hardworking, disciplined, submissive, obedient, and willing not to question. These students were seen as having the qualities in which they maintain uh, a sense of disempowerment and being left and being left behind. Students who showed greater independence or creativity were more likely to gain lower grades. Bowles and Gintis findings. found that those who were willing to be unimaginative and unquestioning would make for a better working class workforce. They go on and call this the correspondence principle. And a correspondence principle is the idea that there is a relationship uh, between the interactions expected and valued in school and to that of a workplace. The correspondence principle operates through a hidden curriculum, which we've spoken about in a previous episode. It teaches the values required by a capitalist society and in turn demonstrates that the education system is actually there only to reinforce a sense of passive obedience. We see this in how students learn to obey rules and not question them. Think about going into an assembly hall. You might walk in, sit down, sit on the floor, and that's the expectation of what happens. This is something that's drilled into you from primary school, not to be questioned. Students also learn to accept a hierarchy 
as well as students being motivated by external rewards in the form of a grade, which is similar to that of the workplace in terms of being motivated by the pay you get at the end of the week or month. That idea of intrinsic satisfaction or internal motivation of being pleased by your job or being pleased by your subjects is not what gets you up and out of bed in the morning, but is instead the idea of there is something, a grade or money at the end of it. This teaches young people, and especially working class people, that this should be their only motivation. This is a form of control. And Bowles and Gintis argue that this form of social control is what keeps the masses in order. Students learn from the knowledge that they cover in lessons um, that there are few connections to be made between these subjects and in fact that these subjects should be treated in isolation. Like any good learner we should know that all the subjects we are covering, whether it's sociology, English, maths, science, history, there is in fact overlap between them and that actually it is all part of a bigger system. But as students you're taught that the education system is all things which are separated. And this is another way of isolating you from the bigger picture, teaching you that actually the system is not joined together and you should just learn to respect that the position that you're in is what you're in. And this is similar to a workplace. If you work in the finance department, don't think about talking to the people in the marketing department. They are separate departments. Students also learn to be competitive in school through tests and grades. This also reinforces the idea that school is based on competition, which again reinforces the later ideas in the workplace of being in competition for best wages or trying to get a promotion. Bowles and Gintis are damning of the education system and see it as merely a place that reinforces that if you're working class as a child, it's reinforcing that you will be in the low paid jobs in which there is very little sense of self-fulfillment. They go on and add that the work that Parson talks about of meritocracy is a lie, that there is in fact a myth of meritocracy. It would be almost childish to say that education is based on meritocracy, that we are judged on our ability. Bowles and Gintis argue that your social class is what's massively influencing how well or not well you do in the education system. We see this especially over the last 12 months with things like COVID and how it's shone a light on the existing inequalities which have always been there in how middle class students may be able to access better technologies, be able to access things like tutors and textbooks. And so that gap in the teaching over the 12 to 15 months of COVID has actually highlighted that if you're middle class, you're able to benefit from the situation or at least be able to maintain a sense of control over it whilst working class students fall further behind. There are criticisms to Bowles and Gintis. They are very deterministic. And what that means is, similar to functionalism, they don't see that these kids and students have any free will. So they just passively accept their position in society. And I would hope that students actually realise Actually, no, we don't just passively accept, we do challenge. So that's a criticism to Bowles and Gintis. Also, Bowles and Gintis are writing in the 1970s. And as we move nearly 50 years on from then, um, actually, 
the work our Bolzingans is doesn't quite fit in with the modern day world as easily. For now, I'll say, try this three marker out. Identify and describe one feature of the correspondence principle. I hope forward to see you tuning in to the next episode of J Cross Presents Sound Sociology.